welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with the famous, famous gamer, Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? Oh my God, Chris, no one's ever called me a famous gamer before. Thank you for that honor. What's your Twitch handle? Chris, what is Twitch? <laughs> Just kidding. I know what Twitch is, but barely. <laughs> uh, so I have some news when it comes to Twitch. So those of you that don't know what Twitch is, um, Twitch is a website where gamers watch other people game and there's a whole commenting stream that you can participate in and kind of chat alongside the uh, and of course the the videos can be recorded so you can watch them after the fact but really the the platform for twitch is to watch live stream gaming right and i have a person that it plays on twitch is going to be coming on the podcast rachel i'm in the works right now uh once upon a time uh i got to go to australia and i got to present um and talk about aac and there was a student with uh, cerebral palsy that has now grown into a because this is several years ago grown into a, a big gamer and so I was noticing him streaming and playing on Twitch and I hit him up recently and I was like hey man uh, remember me you know and he's like yeah of course because we've stayed in touch um, he's in kind of the same stuff I am Marvel and that kind of stuff so we've stayed in touch and I was like hey dude I noticed that you're uh, you're your Twitch you're, you know you've got a Twitch platform and you're um, you're saving your videos to YouTube and you're on Discord and this is all stuff that could really kind of help a lot of people that are listening to this podcast understand what some of these tools are. So so it's good. that's something to look forward to. That's amazing. I mean, we're, we're gamers over here at Talking With Tech, so it's only natural that we have some celebrity gamers come on the podcast. So let's talk about it then. So Rachel, what are some of your favorite games? Well, I wanted to share one specific story, Chris, because I feel like We've all had this situation where, you know, a team member, a parent, someone says they're just not motivated by anything. <laughs> and I feel like that's a very common thing that I hear. I'm sure all of our listeners are like, yes, I hear that all the time. So similar student, everyone's like, he's not motivated by anything. And so I, you know, have been trying to figure out ways that I can incorporate his interests into the work that I'm doing with him. And he, this student just happens to be very motivated by elevators, which before we started recording, Chris, I asked, do you have a lot of autistic students who are really interested in elevators? And you said no. So like, maybe this is just my experience, but a lot of my autistic students love elevators. Well, maybe the incidence is on the rise. I mean, I'm not sure, but regardless. That was a dad joke. It to totally landed flat. <laughs> oh, dad joke. Incidents on the rise. Okay. Okay with the dad jokes. I'm busy. Oh. <laughs> I'm busy talking about real things over here. Just kidding. I love your dad jokes. Um, but anyway, so, you know, this student, very interested in elevators. And I really fully believe when we're trying to figure out what language targets and what vocabulary build off of a student's strengths build off of what students are already communicating. So this student, in order to, he's, I'm sure he's thinking in his head about being in an elevator and what button he wants to push. Because he'll say one, two, three, parking. <laughs> he'll just like say the, the floor that I think he probably wants to push. So, you know, over the course of the last couple months, I have tried to figure out as many different games that have elevators and videos that have elevators. I've been really like going all in with this elevator special interest. And 
I've taught him how to say so many things. He's an AAC user, also has some, you know, some verbal speech, uh, but not always consistent or intelligible. And he's now being able to say, you know, go to first floor, <laughs> go to second floor. And now we're working, because he would say go to uh, one floor, right? So we're working on first, second, third, fourth. And there's an app called Super Elevator. This is a free app. It's super basic, but you basically put these little pretend people in an elevator and then it has an arrow and it has a number next to the arrow. And it has either goes up, so it's like up to ninth floor. Um, then it go, will go down and you know you go to this certain floor and the people get out. Um, but it, there's an element of you know gaming in it in the sense that like you have to hit it at the exact right moment for it to stop at the floor. Otherwise it's like missed floor, game over. Um, so I use this in sessions when I'm doing you know work telepractice wise and this student loves it. He is obsessed with this game. I've taught him so much language. Like now he says, get in for the people to get in the elevator, uh, get out. You know, we're using all types of court language with this and you know, really like building off of what he says and it's actually translating like mom's saying when he goes to you know the elevator he's like go to the first floor and now sometimes he just wants to sit in the elevator and ride it up and down and mom's like we gotta go but now he has the language and you know i took that simple thing of just listening to him and what he's saying spontaneously and building off of that and look how far we've come it makes me wonder first of all it makes me re remember the old game that i grew up with called elevator Act. Action. Have you ever played Elevator Action? No, tell me more. So it's, you know, back when there were arcades, right? And I guess there still are uh, still are arcades. You just don't see them as frequently as back when I was growing up. Elevator Action was a game where you ha elevators were going up and down and you were a little character trying to like get away from the bad guys, right? They were trying to, I don't know, rob the building or something. I can't remember the exact like, plot behind this, uh, this scrolling game that moved back and forth. But it, the fact is there was elevators involved. And then a similar game to that, also in a similar era, was a game called Burger Time. Did you ever play Burger Time, Rachel? That sounds familiar. And I also used to love going to the arcade, like on the weekends. That was like my favorite thing, the arcade and like Blockbuster. So Burger Time was, again, this sort of similar to like a Donkey Kong. I feel like both of these are sort of uh, ripoffs of Donkey Kong, where you're going up and down. Not This is not elevators, but it's ladders up and down. And then you run across different pieces of the of the burger to make the burger right so uh at the bottom level floor number one if you're talking about elevators uh go to the bottom is the buns and then you go up to the second floor and that's where like the patties would be and you could run across them and of course you're being chased by other pieces of like i don't know hot peppers and eggs and pickles are chasing you around because you're the chef who's trying and then you could stop them by throwing salt on them right that would that would stop them in the same way that uh, if you ate uh, something in Pac-Man, right, the little power pellets, it would stop. But my point being is that there's tons of games like this and that you can totally find something that is based on somebody's interests and go from there. What are they interested in? What are they motivated by? Let's play a game about that as opposed to let's do, and I put my, you got to see my fingers in air quotes, let's do an activity related to it. Start with their interest, do an activity, great, but uh, even a level up from that would be let's play a game surrounded by your interests. So the tenant takes the pressure off because um, games are fun, right? Their games are just about having fun. Yeah, and the other thing is 
I know nothing about this app Super Elevator. It's not like this widely known resource that so many people are using. But what I did know was my student was obsessed with elevators and I did a quick search in the app store to see what comes up when I search elevator. And actually I downloaded like four or five different elevator games. Um, Super Elevator happens to be my favorite, but you know, it just goes to show that even students with highly specialized interest, we can take that and, and do a little bit of legwork to see are there games out there or apps or websites uh, or books or videos that can support that specific interest. Now there's one other thing I'd love to talk about when it comes to games and that's kids making their own games. So let's just say you and I were brainstorming about this particular student that you're working with, right? I could totally see you working with um, uh, one of his parents or a sibling or even the student themselves if they were if you were in person with them where you take a manila folder, right? You open it up. You take, uh, now if they're practicing like some sort of fine motor activity, I could see like taking a quarter or a um, some sort of, uh, we were talking about tiddlywinks once on the podcast, remember like some sort of circular object and you could trace around it, OTs rejoice, right, as you're circling around um, and you're making a path using this, uh, this circular object where you're circling that little object, um, making a path on this manila folder. And then you could like roll dice to see, you know, to play the game. And periodically you can have waypoints, like things that you practice. And in your student's case, since they love elevators, what I could totally picture is uh, making little slits on the back of the, or on the, on the manila envelope, cutting out, um, as a manila folder, cutting out a little piece of paper that is, and let's, let's make an, an elevator. And then you could slide it in between these little slits that you made to make the elevator go up or elevator go down. So if you're like, oh, you rolled a five, uh-oh, you landed on the elevator, the elevator's going up, and you actually pull the piece of paper up, pulling that that uh, them to the next level on the game that you've made. But I just think making games that you can go back and play with your family or that you can give to somebody else, like, hey, let's make this game, let's play it a few times, but then let's go give it down to the kindergarten, let them play with it, or uh, trade it with somebody. Uh, making a game for an authentic audience, I think, was really motivating for a lot of kids. Yeah, and I think that, you know, making something automatically, you are customizing it to that specific student, which they're more interested and motivated. This this guy loves the parking level. Like, so he's so disappointed on every elevator game when I pull it up and he's like, go to parking. And I'm like, there's there's no parking level, buddy. Like, but I can see if we made his own elevator game, like we for sure would include a parking level, P1, P2, P3, because he's always like thinking about those when he's communicating about the elevator. He's very disappointed that there's no parking level. I totally pictured. I totally pictured the manila envelope being opened up or the manila folder being opened up, him drawing a little car and cutting it out. And that starts at the top, right? And then a path that snakes its way all the way down to the bottom where you get to the parking level with elevators in between. So if you roll a certain number number, or you spin a certain number and you land on the elevator, it drags you down a level. Oh my gosh, you got to go down in a shoots and ladders sort of way, right? And then eventually you made it to the parking level and you got out, you know, or you got to park your car before you went off to uh, go to dinner with your family or whatever the next part of the story is. But I think that would be super fun. It'd be super creative to make. And I think really motivating for a student that is has an interest like this. I love it. 
I, I, I'm inspired now. I'm going to create an elevator game with him <laughs> and it's going to include parking levels. Awesome. You got to invite me. I want to play. <laughs> Done. Uh, okay, Chris, before we head into today's interview, because it's all about games, which is why we were inspired. I was inspired to share this story. I want to take a second and read some of the reviews. So we have been asking all of our Talking With Tech listeners, if you love this podcast, please, please, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. And I wanted to share because we have a few new reviews that I absolutely love. Uh, the first one comes from Karate Mom 35. She, I'm assuming she, uh, says, I know this podcast is geared more towards educators and SLPs, but I found it immensely helpful to learn strategies to help me become uh, a better member of my child's IEP team. There are so many nuggets of wisdom that have helped me view interventions differently, as well as communication needs of my child. Would definitely recommend this podcast for anyone who's seeking to become a better communication partner, a better advocate for their child, and have a better understanding of how to be an important part of the disability community. Uh, which I just felt like was so great. And you're right, this podcast, we do tend to talk to our listeners like their SLPs, educators, um, but I do think there's a lot of parents who listen. Yeah, I think we. Um, what's so exciting about that particular review is that this person now feels more informed to be able to go to an IEP meeting and speak with their team, right? And there, it feel that to me feels like we're bringing people closer together. So that is so like I know people can't see it. Hopefully, they can hear it in the my voice, the giant smile that's on my face from hearing that review. We also have another review from from a parent, Chris. This this one is from SLP Mom Rose who says, Talking With Tech is my favorite podcast to listen to. I am a mom to an 11-year-old AAC user, an SLP graduate student, and a self-professed AAC nerd. I first began listening to Talking With Tech in 2018. Wow, she's an early adopter of our podcast. She's a super fan. Um, while driving to and from the ASHA convention in Boston, I have loved seeing how the show has evolved over the past few years and the many, many amazing guests you've interviewed. I especially love when you have AAC users on the show as their insight is invaluable. Thank you for the amazing work you're doing in sharing information and helping further AAC knowledge and practice to so many. I love your New Year's goals as I do think there are so many professionals who are still not familiar with AAC or who have only a very basic understanding of AAC and would benefit so much from listening to this podcast. I would love to see more episodes addressing the special challenges for users who need alternative access methods. My son is an auditory switch scanner and there's so little information available to support users in learning and using this access method. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point too about the alternative access. I think we should have some some interviews surrounding that topic, Chris. I feel like we can definitely do our part to, you know, talk to clinicians and parents, uh, AAC users, and really highlight that perspective because I feel like it's one that a lot of a lot of us clinicians are working with alternative access. So I think that we can definitely build that out in the new year. I could not agree more. Talking about alternative access sounds like a great idea here in the new year. So let's make it a point to do that. You know what else sounds like a great idea, Chris? Having all of our listeners write us a review. So if you haven't already and you love this podcast, please go over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews and tell us what you think. We're committed to reading all of our reviews on air. Um, also, I have to tell you, Chris, I went on yesterday to see like any any new reviews and I was having a really grumpy kind of day, like just things weren't going my way. And I started reading the reviews and I was like, wow, the work I do matters. So it really does make us happy. It makes us smile and we really appreciate it. I appreciate that you took screenshots of those and texted them right over to me because then that made my day yesterday. So that was fantastic. Awesome. Okay, Chris, 
tell us a little bit about what the interview's on today. So uh, back at ASHA 2021, one of the presentations that I was fortunate enough to participate in was with Beth Poss and Tali Kellerstein. We, the three of us put on a presentation all about games and gaming. Uh, and so this is an interview with Tali talking about some of the same topics we talked about at ASHA 2021. Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and today our special guest interview is Tali Kellerstein. Ke- Tali, am I saying your name right? A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> yeah, really happy to be here. So Tali, let's talk a little bit about how you and I know each other, which is we've actually never met in person. Is that true? Well, actually, we have met in person, but right, tell me more about that. Remind me how we met. We Well, I, 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 I first saw you on Lesson Picks's um, YouTube, uh, like their, their uh, evening videos. And um, you had made a presentation with Beth on games. And that was the first time I had uh, watched you. And I watched that and I was like, oh, this is my people. (laughs) (laughs) This is my people. You speak my language. I get it. Um, And, uh, and then Beth introduced us more formally uh, for the ASHA presentation that we just did. <laughs> and then we presented it at ASHA together, which was uh, super fun, right? I mean, did you have a great experience? Loved it. Loved it. So my first dipping my toes in ASHA and um, and I'm hooked. <laughs> so I'll be there every year from now on. <laughs> so you and I know each other just a little bit, but uh, for all the people that are listening, let's get them to to know you a little bit. So who are you and what do you do? Okay, so I am a speech-language pathologist from Toronto. I have my own little small uh, private practice called The Speak Boutique, and I work primarily with kids with speech sound disorders, and really at this point, it's pretty much exclusively with kids with speech sound disorders. Um, Been a speech pathologist for around fifth, since 2005, Chris, I can't do the math a long time. Um, and, and I love it. And the other piece of my practice, so it's uh, part clinical. And uh, in 2020, I released my first book. And so the Speak Boutique became um, a publishing establishment as well. So I've, I've self-published uh, a book and um, subsequent to that, a poster and a couple of, of boxes of a box of a game and a flashcard. And I'm super, super excited because I've got another game uh, in the works now. So, oh, fantastic! I want to dig into all of that stuff, but before <laughs> we get to those things, let's talk about how you got interested in speech in the first place. Like, how what was your driving factor to to make this your your life path? So, I've always uh, really, really been interested in in language and uh, communication, which I probably is true for for just about everybody in our profession, probably like cliche. Um, but before I was a speech pathologist, I uh, did my master's in English and I thought I was going to go into academia. I really liked books and literacy and I was going to be a professor. 
And as a side gig, I started uh, teaching ESL, uh, so English as a second language, and um, absolutely loved it. And then I, I like really distinctly remember this one kid who now I know was velar fronting. And at the time, I was supposed to teach him English sounds and he couldn't say them. And so I started to get more and more interested in the granular of communication, you know, not the big lofty ideas of academics, the, you know, academic academia with English. And now it was like the granular, like, why is this kid not able to make it? And, um, and uh, that started uh, that, that pursuit of, uh, of speech. And I found my home in, in here. <laughs> Now, what we're really going to talk today about is games. So how did you get interested, I mean, with making that original connection and then now with what you do when it comes to, to games and gaming and playing, playing games? Yeah, I guess it really flowed very naturally. Uh, when I was teaching ESL, games were uh, a popular vehicle for, for pedagogy there. It was motivating. It was inher- like inherently motivating, inherently interactive. Um, you could vary up any theme that you were talking about, make it a game and you had your, your students hooked. And so I think I already came into speech with, with very much a bias to that, um, to that end. And uh, my first job coming out of uh, grad school, I got, I got really lucky and um, I got a job at a place called, at the time it was called the Toronto Children's Center. And now it's um, been rebranded as a speech and stuttering Institute. And their philosophy was this very literacy rich, um, literacy rich approach to speech, uh, speech therapy. The kids there we were seeing for speech sound disorders and for language, specifically motor speech disorders. And um, we would pair our books with a game. And, you know, if anybody's been following me on social media, you know, that is my shtick. That is, that is what I, what I do. And, um, and I just found it such a compelling way of doing therapy. Um, everything tied well together. Whatever vocabulary you were introducing in the book, you could reinforce with the games. The, the books, the children's targets are at the heart of my therapy, right? It's what, what I'm targeting in their speech, that's at the heart of my therapy. But it's presented on a platter of a book. And then that book is expanded in the game. And um, that's kind of signature what we had done at Speech and Stuttering Institute and um, has carried forth with me. Um, and then I can sort of see that games are, are universal in that way as just part of market research for my business recently, I put out a survey among speech pathologists about what, what are the products they use most in their, in their uh, practices. And, you know, put, put our usual flashcards, books, um, uh, games, workshops. Games was the only one that was absolutely universal. Every single person who answered that survey uses games. It's, it's universal within our field and outside of our field. Um, and I just think uh, they're so powerful as a vehicle for, for teaching and for instruction and learning. <laughs> I know one of the things we mentioned during our presentation was that it's uh, cross-cultural, like every yeah. culture has games. So yeah. uh, everyone seems to love games. In, 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 there might be different types of games that people drift towards, but everyone seems to love games. So let me dig into what you said there a little bit and give, maybe you could give us a practical example because you said like you wrote a book and it ties to a game. So if a, if a speech therapist is like, wow, wait a second, I'm listening to this and I certainly work with books. 
and I certainly work with games, but I don't really tie those two things together. How are you tying them together? What does that look like if I was a, a student coming to one of your sessions? Like, what is your book and how does that tie to a game? So, um, so I could, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about for, for party animals specifically, um, I would have, so party animals is a collection of 21 speech sound poems. So all of these are very, very, uh, alliterative poems that are heavily, uh, saturated with whatever target sound that I have there. So I have one for, uh, which is all about a puppy. So for, let's, let's just start with that one. So for example, I have a kid who's coming in for working on bilabials and, um, they need to get bilabial closure, a good bilabial closure for that P and, um, and maybe they're at the level of um, a two-syllable word. So we're doing a papi. And so the poems are structured so that every word, every stanza ends with the word papi. So it's like party, papi, powder, papi, what, you know, whatever the, the words are. The reason I did that was because some children just need to work in motor speed. Some children will just need to re repeat a single word over and over and they can just handle puppy. And so basically I've built the poems as a closed sentence where they can say puppy over and over. It's because that's how I've been using books. I I'm not following whatever's written on the text uh, in the specific book. Um, like I, I love um, the, that's not my series. Um, and so that's not my puppy. That's exactly what we're doing, right? That's not my kid says puppy, right? And you've got puppy over and over. And then you have the bonuses of, you know, the kid can feel or whatever. And so in, in this poem, um, we have puppy over and over. The, the images tell the story. And so that gives my students a way to either, either they can say the whole stanza. So, um, so I might, the, the story of the puppy in this, you know, in, in the book starts with I'm, I'm just showing Chris, I know you guys can't, can't see it, but I'll just show Chris what it looks like. So the whole narrative is here. Gotcha. So this, first, the book is pretty large. It's, uh, I mean, it's what, eight and a half by 11 or larger? Exactly. It's eight and a half by 11. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so a printing sheet size paper and, um, and in, in each poem, we'll have something like pom-pom puppy, paw paint puppy. And so I'm describing that the puppy has a pom-pom on her party hat. She's painting her nails. And the images tell the story of the puppy getting ready for the party. And so basically what I've done is taken a whole storybook and put it on a page so that a speech pathologist can have 21 books in one book. And then how would I follow this up with a game? I pick a game that's thematically related. So um, there's a bazillion games about dogs, right? Any game with a dog would work. There's a game called Pugs. Oh, it's, I think it's called Pugs Party. I, like the, the, name, the exact name escapes me right now, but I can put it in the comments after where you're feeding a, a pug um, these little chips and then he, he grabs one. He's got the element of surprise, fits in perfectly, especially because I have a pug as one of the party guests here. Um, and so I would take either the party theme or let's say, for example, you know, you're, you're working in a group and you have multiple targets, um, your story, you might pick a theme that fits in that target. So maybe food is a good theme because there's a, an image of the party, the puppy pigging out. And so food can still tie into that theme. Um, I'm picking, pulling themes from the stories and then putting that in my game. Um, and what I'm, What's really the key for what goes together besides the theme is what level of language either of those things are at. So you heard me describe like either I'm looking at single words 
or I'm looking at a little phrase, or I'm looking at a, a more descriptive kind of task, the game that I'm picking is going to match that level. So when it's a single word game, let's say we're working on bilabials, you could do that diggity dog game. I don't know. Do you know that game? No, tell, tell us more. So dig, diggity dog is um, a memory, effectively a memory game. You have a, a board with a bunch of magnetic bones that are upside down and four puppies, and they pick up the uh, bones with their noses. Okay. So, so I have four different puppies. So I have puppy and pick up and bone, like so much opportunity to practice those lips together for bilabials. Mm-hmm. Um and so if I have a child who's working on sort of that little phrases, little sentences, that's a perfect game to, to follow up with this story. For the child, it all works together, right? Like when they're working in school, they're also working in thematic units. Things are linked together. And I'm also seeing the game as a continuation of our conversation. We were talking about uh, puppies in the story. We're going to talk about puppies in the game, but I'm going to match the level. So if I'm working with um, an older child, like it's possible a child with uh, childhood apraxia of speech may still struggle with bilabials as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old. I need to make puppies interesting for the seven-year-old, eight-year-old, for kind of older, in my, in my world, older child. I know in other kids, that's a, in other worlds, that's a younger child. But um, I, I'm going to take maybe a National Geographic um, story about puppies, and we would talk about it there or look through a book and describe each puppy. That's a spotty puppy. That's a, this kind of puppy. So I've, I've taken that level for that kid. Um, and then when, we're, when I'm picking a game, I would also pick something that complements that language level. Um, I do recognize that, you know, I'm, I'm in a, um, a really wonderful position because I have my own private practice. I have my real estate, I have my space, so I can invest in games that really coordinate well with whatever book I pick. And I realize that that is not necessarily realistic for a school-based speech pathologist where you have a very mixed caseload and maybe not all the real estate. I mean, it really, I guess, depends on where people, where people are working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of the idea in my line was to try to put the magic, like the best ingredients of the books and games that I'm using into one product that you know, is portable for the school-based speech pathologist or is you know, an easy grab um, that you can still get that uh, literacy-rich therapy, where you continue the conversation with a tie-in game and um, make it very easy and um, accessible for speech pathologists across the board. <laughs> oh, let me um, make some AEC connections too, right? Since Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one clearly is like when people hear you say bilabials and they're like, well, but maybe the kids that I'm working with uh, aren't really practicing. We're not practicing motor speech here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not exclusively, let's say. Um, the other connections you could be making, which I find is very sparse is for students that use communication devices is actually opening up the keyboard and learning where the, the P is and the P sounds is because puppy might be a little bit more fringe vocabulary word. Um, but we could one in the books and in the games, we're still using core vocabulary. And then we're going over there or practice our 
practicing our fringe vocabulary by spelling out those words and hitting mm. that P repeatedly, um, which I feel like is, I, I, I say I feel, I'm pretty confident that's not widely happening anywhere, right? Um, yeah. I hope there's somebody listening going, well, Chris, I do that. Great. If you do that, put it in the comments, let us know. But this could be a sort of a systematic way of doing that is looking through, uh, sort of using those same speech sounds, but using them in a, a phonemic awareness sort of way, yeah. embracing the keyboard. Does that sound reasonable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could totally see that that connection, especially with the the saturated nature of um, of the sounds. Absolutely. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, you've been implementing games. Oh, wait, one other thing. Another brainstorm I had when you were talking about the materials and the space and putting them in a space, uh, a space. something I don't find happens very often in school-based SLPs, but I wonder if this would not be a strategy, would be what I, what I tend to see happening is a speech therapist gets their funds or they use their own funds and it becomes their materials, right? Mm. But I wonder in a larger school district, if it wasn't a pool of materials and we shared them around like a resource library and people just sort of check them out. So you're checking out the games and the book that's associated with the games. There could be like a little index card that, uh, or maybe a, a QR code that goes with the game that shows a, a little video of how it's being implemented or something like that. How does that, how does that resonate with you? I really love it. It's um, a couple, a couple of ideas sparked from there. One, um, that that's how when you know when I say I was so lucky to have had to have worked in the first place that I did, it, it was because we had that. Um, we were a center of only speech pathologists. Um, the the I have to describe. I, I I just graduated. We we were working in this house that was an old mansion owned by the hospital. So here I come. It's like a scene in a movie. You come down this long driveway, and you end up at this mansion. And uh, in inside the mansion, in the at the front where the lobby was, that's where we had our front desk. There were three organizations sharing this building. And um, we had our offices at the bottom and upstairs in the bedroom <laughs> bedrooms. That's where our therapy was. All the kids thought that we all slept there at night and that we all lived in these, you know, we would go up the creaky stairs into <laughs> our rooms. And we had about um, 15 speech pathologists, I, I think in my organization and then um, hands pulls in the, in the other speech organizations that were, that shared the building and that's essentially what what it became, right? Because everybody said, oh, you're working on like, oh, this kid needs help with like F and a low vowel. And this is like the perfect book. When you have this book, you're going to be able to repeat that sound over and over. Once you had that book, we were all like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I know this game that goes with this. And, and you know, we're really like kind of um, like wine pairing, you <laughs> <laughs> this is the cheese and this is the wine and you know this is going to be magic and uh that was my working environment up until 2015 so for for 10 years my first 10 years of work that that was our culture and our philosophy and it was so great because um we were we were we were a team but each doing our own individual masterpieces right like we we had our own caseload but we were a team in terms of sharing ideas and really amassed this rich um, reservoir of, of ideas that, you know, this is the perfect book for F. This is the perfect book for P. This is the perfect book for a kid just starting. This is great. And um, that was, it was amazing. Um, learned so much without realizing that that, 
that was happening, you know? Um, that sounds amazingly collaborative, right? And yeah. when getting their ideas together, how did you share those ideas amongst each other? So the way that the office was, a sh- so I think part of it was how the games are, how our office was actually set up. So we, we never set up, I know like a lot of practices will put theme bins, right? So you'll have a bin of frogs and, and everything goes with frogs. So our setup was different. We had a library of games and a library of books, which meant that your specific book was never permanently married to a specific game. You, you kind of picked your book and then you would go to the game library and find what, what matched with it. It wasn't ever put in a box. So, so we never pigeonholed you know, a specific book to, I'm not, I'm not, you know, in any way criticizing, there's definitely a functionality to, to sorting things by, by theme and, and an ease of planning. Like uh, that, it's it just this, you know, you asked why, why this work, this, this is kind of how this worked because we, um, our discussions were, were often around that. And, and so it meant like, if I had a, um, you know, exactly like I'm saying with a puppy book, if I have a book about puppies, well, I can tie it in with a game about food and I can tie it in with a game about parties and I can tie it in with a game about puppies. You know, there's, there's a, a million ways to pull those themes. Um, and it, it's the child's targets that drives which materials I'm picking not the other way around. I'm not trying to squish in the child's uh, targets into, you know, it's Christmas. Now we're going to squish it into Christmas. Like, no, we're going to, this is the, the, if it works with Christmas, amazing. But if if Christmas works for me in May, I'm doing Christmas in May because that's the kid's target. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. So I always think of this as a, like what you're saying, a target first approach, um, or I've used since I used do so much work with language, a language first approach. Let yeah. me think of what the language or, or in could be an articulation or a, a speech motor production target as well. Right. So target first, not a theme first, right? Well, it's, yeah. it's uh, October. So we're going to do like costumes and pumpkins and stuff. No, that pick what works for the student. And then, Oh, you know, what will be perfect for this is pumpkins because they're big and they're orange. Yeah. We're looking, those are the concepts we're trying to teach or whatever, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah so that, that was very much like that. That was the culture that that was the culture I was raised in <laughs> my, my, my speech pathology, you know, childhood was there and uh, it, it worked really well. Um, I had something that I like, I just had an idea escape. It'll come to me. I'm going to say something non sequitur in a few minutes when that comes back. We can always edit it back in that way. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. You make me sound articulate. <laughs> Let me ask you this. So you've been using games now for, for years, right? Yeah. So what are some of your go-to strategies? So for instance, let me just give an example. Right? So, if, oh, you, did you think of what it was? I'll, yeah, I'll, I thought it, I thought it was. Go ahead. Say. <laughs> so what I was going to say is that from the outside, if you look in, you know, if you're looking on my Instagram or if you're looking on the outside in, it looks like, oh my gosh, you need so many materials. The truth is you don't. The truth is that when you find that magic game for R, that magic book for R, it is so reusable Mm -hmm. and I don't photocopy and I'm not laminating and I'm not spending time doing printing. And I mean, part of that is thank you, Zoom and virtual. But um, but when you have a good book, the reason we were all so excited in that that collaboration, that collective environment was because when you found a book that was magic, like I, I have this book um, yesterday, there's a bear on my chair, which actually I found Lesson Picks had recommended that book. And it is amazing for air. There's 
I don't know, probably at least 50 rhymes where you have air at the end of words. I never need to find another material to target air of a child. It's, it's there forever. And that's what I love about games. Like you, they're, they're so perennial. <laughs> you just use it over and over. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for accommodating that spark. that just came a little late. <laughs> yeah. I love that fact about games too, that they're so reusable and you just yeah. do it over and over and over again, and you can just kind of change them up. They're, uh, they're pliable, right? They're pliable. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me ask, since you've been doing this for many, many years now, what are some strategies that seem to really work for you? And then uh, maybe a part B to that question is, here's some things to avoid. Like if yeah. I'm a new speech therapist that's uh, just implementing games, like he might want to be cautious of this. So what works and what doesn't? Okay. So, um, so for me, um, First of all, there's one thing that that applies for books for me and that applies for uh, games is that I really rarely actually read the text. I am, you know, target first, right? I am thinking, what is this child working on? And so when I'm reading books, I'm not actually reading books. I am manipulating the story, the narrative, the pictures there to get the child to say what I need them to say and practice. And that's the same for games. I rarely actually read the, the instructions. If the instructions are so complicated that I need to read them, not a good game for therapy. We can put that in your question number two of what to avoid. Like I, I just don't have time for that. <laughs> so I need a game that is really simple, that without reading it, I can, you know, somebody had just told me like Instagram is about telling stories with a picture. A game should be the same thing. You look at it, you've told the story with the picture, you can run. And I can play a memory game with a child every single week. But if one week, my week, my memory game is about bears and the next week, my memory game is about cars. And the next week, my memory game is about fire. And all these times we're working on R at the end of words, our post-vocalic R. And we've played a memory game every time, but it's a different memory game. This child's experience is not, oh, I do the same thing in therapy every week. They haven't done the same thing in therapy, even though in my mind, we've played a game three times. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that, that's so that, that would be my one, um, my first thing. The second piece for me, um, where I think like really I veered off at the center compared to what I was trained in school is to put away the flashcards. Flashcards, like fine, they have a place. Like I use them in my drills sometimes in the first part of therapy as the warm up. But the best, the best advice I had gotten was put away the flashcards. We don't talk in flashcards, you know, in, in set word that are, that are selected and you don't, you know, whoever created those flashcards didn't have your specific child in mind. And also um, when you embed those, my philosophy, I mean, like <laughs> if, if research proves me wrong, I'll, I'll take it. But my philosophy is that if you're embedding your targets into the actual communication activity, my game in my session is not my reward. That's not the reward for doing therapy. That is the therapy. And so my um, philosophy is that if we are embedding our targets into the game, our role is to, is to um, change the level, right? Our, our role is to make the level harder or easier. And with time and practice, you, you can do that fairly um, naturally. Um, if they're embedded, we are inherently working on generalization and carryover from the start. We're not saying there's going to be the step where we throw away the flashcards and now we're just having a conversation because we have 
had conversations the whole time. Spin the arrow, take your turn, take your step, put on the snake, take off the car, put in this. We've always been having conversations. Just at the beginning, we had very repetitive conversations that were super predictable. As the kid advances in their targets, we're going to have less predictable conversation. We're going to have more variety in the words that we say. And, but we're still having conversation throughout. Um, you know, it's just, it is a philosophy. I don't know, you know, there's, there's not going to be positive research supporting this, but um, that's kind of the, that, that on the evidence-based triangle, the clinical experience, that, that's, that's where I put mine. Well, Talia, I think there's two other really important factors there, and that is flashcards are a tool, right? Yeah. But the strategy behind the tool is repetition. And you're getting repetition in a more, and this I think is the, this, the second point, a more fun, authentic way when you're actually playing the game than a drill and kill sort of thing. That's the yeah. sort of thing, drill and kill is like, Oh man, they see you coming. Oh, I don't want to go do that drill and kill thing. But oh my gosh, we're playing memory and yeah. the same sort of because we're doing a structured repetition, but they don't know it's structured repetition. It's just playing a game, right? Exactly. Exactly. That engagement factor. And there, I think, is where we have some evidence to suggest that's what works, right? But it also brings in that joy factor, right? Abs- absolutely. Um, and then I think the other piece of, um, I have, I have so many strategies. I'll, I'll give you a couple, uh, a couple more, if that's okay, we're, we're good. Um, so the, so a couple other strategies, it's really worth investing in a dice that only has one, two, three, that doesn't go to six. It's a really good way to stretch your game. Um, I love like, um, so if, if you're in a buy, you like, um, if, if you do have those games where uh, I, I sometimes we'll use the, the templates on lesson picks. So, so your game does become like a flashcard in that where you have your targets on every single um, square. But if I use a six, uh, a six number dice, then we're going to finish that game in five turns. Mm-hmm. I don't need it. So I want my dice to only go till three. So I stretch that game out and have more opportunities for, um, for turns. Um, the okay. other, <laughs> can I just jump in there real quick? Yeah, please. So, cause everyone knows I play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Which yeah. has uh, many different dice. There are four sided dice you can get, which is, uh, I like the idea of, um, sort of, uh, here you could choose this dice or this dice. Do you know what I mean? And give yeah. them choice. Cause if you're going from like three or four, or like what's, and it's a different size, like a, a four sided yeah. dice is a triangle, you know? So that's like, oh yeah sharp and pointy and there's other things you can do with it. But what I really want to say about that is um, I like the idea of making your own dice, like out of a box yes. um, with uh, bingo dabbers or whatever, because now this is my die. Okay, go get your die. And then you're creating one that has one on two sides, two on two sides and three on three sides. Um, and I feel like that's a whole nother thing of like, you now I own it. Like I own it. You know what I mean? Yes, I exactly. It. Exactly. Yeah. And so many tips for, for customizing dice. Like you can Grab a box or you can buy big dice from the dollar store and stick on whatever you want for your targets. There's dry erase dice that you can use. <laughs> I can have a whole podcast on dice. <laughs> so I'm sure you could too. I will. Maybe we'll roll that out later. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, the other um, in ter- adapt for adapting games, um, memory. So memory, I, w- I just played this one um, the other day with the kids. So this is Mix and Match Bear by Ravensburger. And um, you don't have to, you can adapt the game to make it faster or slower. So when I'm playing memory games, 
I, I, because I have a book and a story retail and other activities in my session, my game is usually taking about 10 to 15 minutes. So a whole memory game with many, many cards, it, it's going to take too long for my purposes. Um, so if you just leave the cards up, so now it's not a memory game anymore, it becomes a matching game, but you've now adapted that game to make it go as fast as you need. I think that's, you know, especially when you're starting, your main skills to try to figure out how you can stretch a game and how you can, um, you know, how you can contract a game and how you can expand a game, uh, depending on where the child's at, where their interests are. Um, yeah, I would, the other beauty, beauty, I love, love doing games on virtual. Um, I did not think that these physical games were going to translate to virtual therapy, but they actually translate beautifully. And I'd said in our Asher presentation, you know, uh, somebody had pointed out, like we as adults, we watch shows on YouTube, how to renovate your kitchen, how to, I love House Hunters International, you know, like, please give me a house in Barbados tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I watch, I watch that knowing I am not going to live there and I am not going to buy this house, but I love it. And the same thing when we're playing game, physical games with kids virtually, they can see it's a 3D object. There's something like much more, not much more, but there's something like just very motivating about it. And they play as if it's they're playing. If I've got a mystery bag and we're grabbing things from a mystery bag, I pull it to the camera. They pretend they're grabbing it fully, like not less interactive than it was in person. And I don't have to wipe down everything after. So, um, so I love that. When, it's just as immersive, right? Because you're it's but, just as immersive. And how often are they now now giving you commands? Move it there or change that. That's the exactly they're getting to use it as a whole different pragmatic function that oftentimes when they're actually in a physical space, they're following directions rather than giving them. You've given them, you've given them, you've it's language rich therapy, right? It's you, you've yes, I'm working on motor speech, but my context is always language because speech happens in language. And um and the other thing I love with virtual is that it is, don't tell the kids, it is very easy to cheat. I just move my spinner and I put it where I, so if I need a game to go faster, it's off camera and our game is moving. And if I need a game to go slower, I can just do it off camera. And oh my gosh, we only rolled two. Oh, well, bummer. <laughs> um, I love yeah. that. And there, there's another thing you touched on that I want to comment on. That is, there's a phenomenon I think that's happening that people wouldn't have necessarily realized um, uh, even 10 years ago or even five years ago. And that is students like watching videos of other yeah. students playing games. So yeah, yeah. I know there's um, so uh, something, I'm sure there's a bunch of YouTube videos on this of kids playing games, but I know in particular there's a, a show that Will Wheaton used to do, or I mean, it's still yeah. about gaming, where it was like adults playing games. You'd watch them and then occasionally have kid friendly episodes where it was kids playing games like a um like a settlers of Catan junior sort of thing and i could totally see students like pausing that watching that commenting on the other kids playing just watching other kids play games not even playing themselves could be a great way to get to targets so i have to say i have a, a child who is who loves 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 uh video games right so so he's introduced me to among us and now he's introduced me to bloons td and it was he really really wanted me to download it on my phone and it, it really got complicated for us to play together i wasn't hitting our targets because we were um you know futzing with the game so much and um and then i had an idea we'll, we'll watch somebody playing bloons on youtube didn't we have the best session? Like, I mean, no prep materials. Yes, you have to screen your video, your YouTube videos before. Right. <laughs> it's important. Um, but we were pausing every few minutes so he could explain to me what was happening. 
I, I had very much curated the type of things I was having him tell me because we've got uh, a lot of apraxia happening here and, and I need to really tailor the things that are, are being said. It's not easy. Like you do have to, you know, when I have my games, like when I'm working on bear and I have a game with 30 bears, like I know I'm going to get that target <laughs> up 10 times when I'm working on blue, like with that same kind of target, but we're doing balloons on YouTube and it's very unpredictable. I need to put a little bit more thought into how I'm going to manipulate the environment. So I get the targets that I want, mm-hmm. um, but doable. And yeah, that was a great session with him. And we were literally just watching somebody play a game on YouTube. Yeah. I think it aligns with that. That might sound weird to people listening, but how, how weird is it to watch somebody play football or basketball? Right. But that's yeah. so, like, right. But, and that's so many kids like, well, I like to, that's a game. And I like people watching people do that. Well, this is another game that I like people watch. Like people. Yeah. And uh, like you said, screening and pausing and giving so many opportunities to discuss what was happening is such a language rich opportunity. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I have, uh, I think maybe one last sort of big question to ask you, and that is yeah. uh, something I absolutely loved um, from uh, our presentation. That point that you made is that there is, um, when it comes to therapy, so often students don't, it's not necessarily communicated to them that there's a beginning, a middle and an end, and this is where we're going. And then it's going to yeah. end be out of therapy it's there's uh it, it can often feel like it's just going to go on forever and it's not really explained to a student that um that there is a that ending point but you say you make it really clear or you try and make it as clear as possible and one way of doing that is through gamification so can we talk a little bit about gamifying what does that mean versus games and how that ties into a beginning middle and end and all that whole that whole thing so what i did um about I don't know, three years ago, I kind of started to use this metaphor of therapy as a video game. And that, you know, I explained to the kids that when we're in therapy, our goal is to get the highest level. Our highest level is in real life. When you can do your targets in real life, you are ready to graduate. And that, that uh, form, so I, I um, illustrated it with um, a rocket. So th- the form that we're talking about, it's available on my um, on my website. So there's a, a link for free printables. And so if you put in the free printables um, and you signed up, you, this, this form is available. It's a one pager and there's a picture of a rocket. And under the rocket, there are a bunch of levels. So our level can be is words, then phrases, then sentences, then in real life. And in each of those levels, there are um, levels of uh, mini levels, right? That, that we're not, I shouldn't say many obstacles that we're looking to get over. So um, for the first three of those levels, it's really how much support does the child need? Um, can you do the sound in words? Do you need a lot of help? Do you need some help? Do you need no help? Well, if you need no help in words, we're ready to move on to phrases. And if you need no help, and I have to say, you know, sometimes kids jump levels in one session. This isn't, this doesn't have to be week to week to week. Like it's, it's versatile. You, you adapt it to the child's, um, to the child's needs. And then we're looking at in real life. Now in real life, we up the ante. It's not just how much support you need. It's how frequently you need that support. Like if I need to correct you once a day, that's very different than I need to correct you every single conversation. Mm -hmm. And also the speed, because I think we get to a point in therapy where the parents will tell me, like they use their sounds most of the time, but when they're tired, when they're excited, when they're sick, 
um, we start to see uh, a drop. There is a phenomenon in childhood proactive speech where actually we see an improvement sometimes in kids when they're uh, sick sometimes, but I think it's just maybe those are just standing out because they're so like, it's, it's such a bizarre uh, phenomenon, right? So, um, but I then want to see, I, so I have a little symbol for rate. Are you using your target when you're going super fast? Can you hold on to that accuracy when things are exciting and fast and, uh, um, and going at that speed? And I, I've always really liked game metaphors. Like one of my, I have a YouTube channel and on one of the earliest videos was talking about speech as, as a basketball game, like basketball is a metaphor. And so when we're in our therapy sessions, that's like learning to, to dribble or learning to shoot or learning to do a layup, whatever. It's been like 30 years since I played basketball. So you'll excuse me, <laughs> that's not some of the terminology. And then our next step is to play an in-house game, right? To play the basketball game with your team. And that's the equivalent of doing therapy in the therapy session where I am the cue. The activity is the cue. Everything here is a cue. And then the in real life, that's the away game. That's where you don't know what's coming at you. You don't know the strategies of the team. You have people yelling at you, you know, people from the crowds yelling at you. That's like your brother and sister nagging you while you're just trying to get your message across. And mom is telling you, you have to think about your S like I need this now. Right? And, um, and so I've always kind of had games as a metaphor for what happens in the therapy session. And, and, um, and the video game was a really uh, neat way to explain that. Um, and I have to say, it was actually like recently very, very helpful because I uh, was in a session where I felt so bad, you know, like the sessions would always go how we want. And I had a parent who, who was jumping in to uh, keep correcting the child. I understand that the parent is, is only doing this with good intention, right, to, to help her kid. But she's not seeing the levels that, that we're working on words and this child is not ready yet for a whole full sentence. And so the next week I brought out the sheet and I explained it to the child and you could see the parent understood now the trajectory of therapy. And it wasn't in a way where I was, you know, lecturing, like it, it was just this very natural way of explaining what we're doing, explaining it to the child without being, you know, in any way um, rude to the parent. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and kind of got us all on the same page and what we're working towards. I think, you know, for, for parents, they'll think like he knows how to do an R. Why doesn't he do it all the time? No, knowing how to do something is very different than doing it all the time. And we get this intuitively as therapists, um, but it is not intuitive to most people, you know, just because you can write in perfect calligraphy doesn't mean that every single time you write, you're going to write in perfect calligraphy. Mm -hmm. Some things take time and motor skills take time. Language takes time. Changing behavior takes time. And this tool, like explaining that something in real life is very different than in a highly structured environment, that's an important message to send to our parents that we're working with and to send to the kids because you are buying yourself time as a therapist. Like you, you need that time and you need them to understand this is not a magic pill that we're going to give. It's going to take time. I think um, I wish I had really known that when I had graduated, because when we first came out, I always felt like, oh, it's because I don't have experience. Like this isn't working because I don't have experience because I don't know what I'm doing because I'm so new at it. And, you know, now that I do have experience, 
I know it's not because I'm like magic. Yeah, sure. I've gained a lot of skills over time. I've gained some tricks. Like my ear is more attuned to what the kids are saying. I can now kind of, I have a better sense of this kid is going to be this long. Like, yes, there's definitely things that come with experience, but I still need time. (laughs) And when I'm in the field, another 30 years, I will still also need time. Um, so Tom, this, you are you are so uh, speaking my language here and <laughs> because this is something that um, Rachel and I talk about when it comes to coaching with when in re- reference to AAC and our own therapy skills is that I might be able to tell you all about uh, pick a strategy let's say least to most prompting right mm-hmm. be able to actually implement it maybe I could do that when it's a one on one situation quiet with a student maybe I could do that but now actually put it into play when there's four different students and there's assistants around and all of a sudden the bell's going off, you know, it changes. And so it takes practice. It takes coaching. It takes time to, to get better at that skill in the same way. And, and, and uh, in the same way to make that metaphor or analogy that a student might be able to hit a target uh, sitting at a table by themselves, but then when they're in a car with their cousins and there's music playing, you know, and, uh, and it's going fast, like then they might not be able to hit the target at that time. And you might even start to internalize that you're bad at the skill, but when mm. you like, oh man, I'm just not good at this. Like, and you right. down on yourself, whether again, as a professional trying to implement a strategy or as a student trying to implement a target, but what you're saying, uh, or what I'm hearing you say is by making the, um, uh, making it very apparent, very visual, very, um, uh, right. Like something that you can visualize, then you go, well, right. I'm just not there yet. I, I can do right. it here, but I'll get there because it's progression. I just, the rocket ship hasn't gotten as high as it needs to get yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and I think as you go, like when, if you've, you've, um, if you've mapped things out this way, I mean, it doesn't have to be the same images that I use, but if you've mapped things out as a step-by-step you're also celebrating those accomplishments along the way. Our kids are struggling to do something that everybody else does naturally. Mm-hmm. Everybody else does what they are struggling to do without thinking twice. And we need to show them every step along the way. Those are huge accomplishments. And if my kids are doing something that that's at the end of that, uh, you know, that that's at the in real life stage, if they're doing that at the beginning, I tell the parents like what your child is doing, that is massive. Like that, that needs to be celebrated. We are so used to zeroing in on when kids make mistakes, celebrate when they do things right. <laughs> and making it visual like that and gamifying it. Like yeah. um, moving from, I think an analogy there is like scouting, right? You started the Cub Scouts and move your way up yeah. and earn badges along the way. Or another one is that I think people can resonate with are like, belts in, in uh, right. arts, right? Yeah. You've earned your belt, you move forward. So celebrating that you've, you have earned your next belt, you have moved up to, you were started out as a Padawan and now you're that much closer to being a Jedi, you know, whatever analogy might be gamifying. It makes it fun for people and sees those little increments as successes. It's all, it's all, it's a path, right? And, uh, and I think uh, you know, what, at our ASHA presentation, what really struck me um, was, I think it, it was Beth who described games as a narrative. And I'd never really thought, I mean, as long as I've been doing this and I've been doing, you know, this with books, I'd never thought of the game as a narrative, but really it is. We have characters, we have a protagonist, we have an antagonist, we have elements of surprise. We have a beginning, a middle and an end. You have, uh, you know, like uh, the, the word sounds so cheesy, but you have a journey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, um, and 
you know, all of these things are little metaphors for what our whole therapy is. We've got targets. We're hitting them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Let me la- add sort of final question. Yeah. Is, uh, the way I like to end our interviews is with um, asking people what they're sort of curious about, what they're sort of wondering about, what they're questing after. You know, what I'm sort of been been thinking might come next for me, something like that about reflecting on, hmm, you know, I've been really thinking about this a lot lately. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. Um, I think, I don't know if it's very different than before, but I, I always am wondering how we put what we do on the map for people outside of what we're doing um, to translate kind of the magic of what we do outside um where i'm going kind of in the next the next product in my business is sort of going along that lines i really want to make a game that is not you wouldn't look at and think it's a speech game Mm. there's going to be easter eggs there for speech pathologists but i want to take what we do and and make it really accessible to to the population to the civilians, <laughs> to the people in the outside world. Um, and I'm always thinking about that, like where, where has my thinking changed? I'm not thinking in the same way I did before I was a speech path and before I did this. And where, where are those bridges we can draw between what we're doing and how parents are thinking, how children are thinking, how people exist and live? Um, you can tell I'm like, you know, very immersed <laughs> in what I do. And my head is always... Uh, in that direction. And I'm also trying to get the perspective of, of the, the outsider coming in. That is, um, again, you're speaking my language here because the, the word that's screaming in my head right now is inclusion, right? Yeah. If someone else can take it, this game and play. You wouldn't even, um, you wouldn't even think of it as, uh, as necessarily speech, but like you said, I love that idea of like Easter eggs there. Um, yeah. just an inclusive game that we're all sort of playing together. I just love that. hundred percent, a hundred percent. Awesome. All right. Well, so give us all the stuff. How can people find you? Um, where can they find your store? Give us the URLs, give us your social media handles. Let's people want to connect. Where do they reach you? Thank you so much. So my store is www.thespeakboutique.com slash store. Um, so the website is thespeakboutique.com and you can uh, see kind of all about me there. And then slash store is where the, the products and the product descriptions are. I do a lot on Instagram. So it's at the speak boutique. Make sure you have the in there. <laughs> um, and I have a community page on Facebook. So for um, if you're interested in the book or if you've bought the book, um, it's called Tally's Party Animals Community. Um, and so you can please join us. Uh, the Speak Boutique is on Facebook as well. Um, I'm a little bit on Twitter, not, not so much. Um, <laughs> I'm still navigating that pl- platform, but mostly on Instagram. Oh, and YouTube. So I do have a YouTube channel. And on that YouTube channel, I walk through um, the book. There's a tour of the book and there's a tour of um, the what's that store? What's the story cards, which is a retail a set of retail activities um, based grown out of the book. And then I have um, what's that sound a collection of cards to show kids how we move our mouths for certain sounds. So it's, it's uh, cue cards for sounds, but also there's uh, materials and instruction there to support phonemic awareness. Very, very important because our kids with speech sound disorders are very much um, are vulnerable for 
literacy difficulties, even with a single Arctic error. Um, Kelly, uh, Dr. Kelly Farquharson's uh, research talks, talks towards that. And so um, phonemic awareness is important to me. I have it in, in that deck. <laughs> so that was my quick run through of, uh, of where you can find me. But I'm very accessible. I'm happy to answer questions. People have um, email me. I'm tally at thespeakboutique.com, T-A-L-I. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Of course, we'll have that all linked in the show notes. Um, and thank you so much for uh, for uh, presenting together at ASHA. I'm so glad Beth Poss, she knows what she's doing, putting us together. Uh, <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. It was the, the best <laughs> highlight of November for me. Um, and thank you so much for having me here. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Us, us too. Thank you so much for being here and sharing these strategies. And again, I'm Chris and this is Tali for Talking With Tech. <laughs>